0: Welcome to Understanding the Bible with Pastor Stephen. This is episode 54, Christmas and what it means to God. So Merry Christmas. Uh, today's the 18th. I hope you all have a wonderful Christmas this year. And I wanted to approach this a little bit different, not your typical Christmas story, right? Today, we're going to be talking about the significance of God being born as a human, baby Jesus and Christmas time, right? Now, first of all, I understand he wasn't really born in December, but let's talk about Christmas, meaning christ mass and mass means you are sent or to go so christ was sent to humanity and that's why we call it christmas now the speculation is that it was in like april or march whatever I, I really don't care when you think he was born since about the fourth century under constantine the great the first christian emperor the whole world has been celebrating christ's birth 1700 years of celebrating on december 25th Anyone who argues that we shouldn't celebrate December 25th as Christmas because we stole a pagan holiday and it dishonors God after 1,700 years of Christian Christmas traditions in every country of the world, it doesn't matter what people tried to make it at the beginning. It is a Christian holiday. Think of it this way. If your family can establish a family tradition just by doing something for two or three years in a row, who are you to say that 1,700 years of tradition shouldn't be celebrated? The selfish pride of some people who think that they know better than the rest of the whole world over when when you should celebrate something about the Bible It's just mind-boggling, all right? It doesn't matter if you like to celebrate it or not, or if you think it's right or not. God doesn't care what day you celebrate. What he cares about is what you're celebrating, who you are celebrating, and why you are celebrating. That's the most important, your heart attitude. God looks at your heart, right? So from a totally different perspective this year, we're going to look at Christmas. The what, the who, and the why. Christmas. To begin, let's talk about what is an angel. Now, the definition of an angel, we have this human idea of pretty soft wings, a human looking being, right? The definition of an angel is a spiritual being uh, who is believed to act as an attendant, an agent, or a messenger of God. And it's been conventionally represented in human form with wings and a long robe. The biblical definition of angel, it's actually from the Greek word angelos, which means a messenger or to bring tidings. So literally an angel is a messenger of God. Now, the description of angels from the Bible, most often they're invisible to humans. You look at Numbers 22. Um, angels have always been perceived by humans as some sort of supernatural being that can appear and disappear at will. Now if you read through the whole context of all all the books of the Bible, there are different classes of angels. So there's the potentially the warrior class versus the servants, the messengers. And I, I just want to read a couple of brief explanations of some of these angels. The cherubim are described in Ezekiel chapter 1 and 10. Uh, it's mentioned in Genesis three twenty four when Adam and Eve were driven out of the Garden of Eden, God said, so he drove out the man and he placed at the east end of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Apparently, these are powerful beings with swords. Then there's seraphim, which are talked about as serving God in heaven in the throne room. Now, if you think about a powerful king in a throne room, right? Who does he have surrounding him? Obviously, wise people, people who are strong and powerful enough to protect him, right? So if you're going to keep the throne room of God, there's something special about you. That's what these seraphim are. Now, they're mentioned in Isaiah 6, and then their description is reiterated in Revelation 4 without calling them seraphim. So it's possible that revelation four is referring to four beasts that are actually angels seraphim. But in Isaiah six verse two, it says above it stood the seraphims, each one having six wings with twain. He covered his face. That's just means two. And with twain, he covered his feet and with twain, he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, seraphim literally comes from the word seraph, the ancient Hebrew, which means burning or fiery, typically referred to as a burning serpent in the ancient Hebrew. So I don't know what that means about what a seraphim looks like, but they are clearly somehow burning and have six wings. That's like the only two things we know about them. Okay. And if you look at Revelation 4, 6, it doesn't call them seraphim. So this is speculative. I'm not sure if these are, but it says, and before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the four beasts had each of them six wings. This is why I think it's seraphim about him. And they were full of eyes within and they rest not day and night saying, holy, holy, holy. Just like the seraphim in Isaiah 6, Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. So obviously several different classes of angels. Now, here's another one: the archangel. There's only one archangel mentioned in the Bible. Now, I'm talking about the canon of the scriptures, not the book of Enoch and the Apocrypha and other, you know, other extra-biblical texts. Okay. In the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 4:16 talks about the archangel which is michael jude 1 9 he is named as michael and he is capable of struggling with satan so michael the archangel is very powerful and he is called the commander of the armies of the lord then we have another class of angels called the heavenly host which is the great multitude which come at several times in the bible you look at luke 2 they were praising god and singing. And then in Revelation, they are coming with God to fight against the armies of the world. So lots of different uh, purposes for different angels and and then several we know of different looks. But I want to really get into how powerful and fearsome these angels are. They are huge and amazing. In Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 10, I'll, I'll start in chapter 1 here. I just want to read a few verses. Verse 4 and I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it. And out of the midst thereof is the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire. Also, out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, and every one had four faces, and every one had four wings. And the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. Now, this is describing the cherubim. Verse 15, now, as I beheld the living creatures, behold, one wheel upon the earth by the living creatures with his four faces, the appearance of the wheels and their work was like unto the color of a barrel. Uh, and that's a type of stone. And they four had one likeness and their appearance and their work was as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. When they went, they went upon their four sides and they turned not when they went. So they roll on one wheel. That's a wheel within a wheel. As for their rings, they were so high that they were dreadful and their rings were full of eyes round about them four. So on their four faces, they had some sort of ring over their head and it was so high and it had eyes round about it. It was so tall that it was dreadful. So imagine looking up at a creature that is so big, it scares you at how big it is, how tall it is. And when I went, I heard the noise of their wings, like the noise of great waters, as the voice of the Almighty, the voice of speech, as the noise of a host. When they stood, they let down their wings. This is just one of the angels, the cherubim. Now, they inspire, every time an angel appears in the Bible, they inspire fear and worship. And I shouldn't say every time, most of the times that I recall reading about angels in the Bible, that people are terrified. If you want an example, look at Daniel 10. Daniel trembled in fear even when they told him, don't be afraid and stand up. In Luke 1, Zacharias was scared. In Luke 2, 9, the shepherds were sore afraid. Now, angels are powerful as well. They control the forces of nature. Look at Revelation chapter 7 and 16. They control the wind and the water of the earth. They can also, and this is every angel that I'm aware of, they can harm humans but humans cannot harm them. Extremely powerful and scary in that regard, right? Look at Elisha, uh, the army of angels in second Kings 16, they literally blinded the entire army of humans. And then Balaam's donkey, the angel told him, I was going to kill you Balaam, but your donkey saved you in November's 22 in numbers 22. They have the ability to affect the physical universe and they can kill humans. Here's another thing about angels. They can take human form at will. Hebrews 13 says some have entertained angels unaware. And you can see Lot and Abraham and other people in the Bible that did actually entertain angels and didn't find out until later that they were not humans when they began to speak and tell them, you know, what God had sent them for. So what does God say about angels? In Hebrews 1.14, he says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So angels are sent to minister to humans. And that comes, the word minister comes from the Greek word liturgikos, which means beneficent or ministering. Basically, what that means is all angels are meant for the service of the people who are heirs of salvation. Interesting. So these great, powerful, huge, dangerous beings are meant to help us. Then you look at Psalm 8:3. It says, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and has crowned him with glory and honor. Now this is what blows my mind. Human beings were made a little lower than the angels. The difference between us puny humans and the angels is so vast that through all of human history, human beings have worshipped fallen angels, demons, made them into gods, because they are so much better than humans and more powerful than us, that they appear to be gods to us and they scare us when they appear to us. And yet God says we are just a little lower than these beings. That's crazy. God's idea of a little bit (laughs) is massive. So what are humans? Well, physically, we're flesh that just exists for a short time compared to the earth, compared to angelic supernatural beings. And for crying out loud, compared to God, I mean, we're puny. The Our flesh is often weak and sick. We're easily defeated by spiritual beings. The tallest human, you know, I'm, I'm assuming is like, you know, 10 to 12 feet tall, maybe in all of history. I, I don't know, you know, and then the, the shortest adult is maybe like, four feet tall or or midgets three and a half feet tall or whatever i don't know so so you take that range like we can be four to twelve feet tall let's say in all of human history that's nothing like angels who whose height is quote so high that they were dreadful end quote from the book of ezekiel human beings are tiny puny weak fleshly beings that are going to die very soon you know 70 to 100 years depending on your health we are spiritual beings as far as having a soul but we have zero power unlike the angels we may have spiritual gifts given to us by god but it's not wielded in our own power it's from god it's not part of our nature we may be capable of doing miracles like some of the prophets and things in the past but only with the holy spirit it's not part of our nature we do have an everlasting soul if you look at john three sixteen, we will die and and live on outside of our weak flesh right but comparatively speaking next to angels we're puny we're nothing we're powerless we throughout history have thought that angels were gods yet the bible says that we are a little lower than the angels and of course next to god almighty we're absolutely nothing so what is god what is god almighty Well, he's the creator of the angels. And if angels are so great and they are just the messengers of God, you got to understand the creator is always much greater than his creation. Humans think angels are gods, but compared to God, those fake gods are nothing. I think of uh, the Avengers clip of when uh, the Hulk is uh, attacked by uh, Loki. And Loki is like, I'm sick of you, Humans, I am a god to you, you know. And I'm thinking in the realm of demons and angels, right? They're gods to us, right? And then the Hulk grabs him and starts bashing him and just knocks him senseless. And he's like, "Puny god!" That's how I think of angels compared to the real god. <laughs> angels are nothing. They they can they cannot do anything to the god of the universe, right? Uh, of course, he created us. He, he created. The galaxies, the universe, we can't even comprehend how big you have to be to create a galaxy, let alone the entire universe with all the galaxies. There, There's one star called a uh, Conus Majoris, uh, where if the earth, like the huge gigantic earth that we live on, were a golf ball, this star would be as big as Mount Everest. There are so many planets and galaxies and things out there. We haven't even begun to touch the surface our solar system could fit inside some of these stars it's insane god has made things so big it it boggles the mind to imagine how big he is to our comprehension the universe the galaxies that he's made are infinite now think about this there are only two options to space when you look up at the stars and such Either space is infinite and it never stops, which means unlimited galaxies going on forever. That is incomprehensible. Or it's finite. There is an end to all the stars in space and it stops somewhere. So if you flew a spaceship to the edge of space, to the edge of the universe, what does it look like? What is on the other other side of space and matter? Where is that? What is that? You see, God is so big, he breathed the stars and the galaxies into existence just by his word. I like the way the Berean Study Bible uh, says, Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. You see, God is so big that he just had to speak And stars spewed forth across the universe. God is the creator of time, space, and matter. You see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created when? The beginning. That's time. He created the heavens. That's space, the stars, the universe, the galaxies, everything we see up there at night. And the earth. He created the individual planets. He created matter. God, by definition, is outside of time, space, and matter. He is not limited by them. He is eternal, an infinite past and an infinite future, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. It's incomprehensible. Here's another aspect of God that people don't think about. He's a trinity, okay? And I know you guys have heard that before, but let's think about this for a second. His essence is very hard to comprehend god the father god the son and god the holy spirit you look at genesis 1 2 now the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of god was hovering over the surface of the waters and then verse 26 then god said let us make man in our image after our likeness that's crazy he he talks amongst himself but he's not schizophrenic somehow this god is is three that is one John one one in the beginning was the Word, and this talks about who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is the Word, and the Word was with God in the beginning, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus Christ was there at the beginning with God, one of the ones that he was talking amongst. Let us make man in our image. You see, God has always existed within himself, communed with himself, extended himself somehow into these three selves, and always has been aware of what he was doing, fully in control of everything. He is omnipotent, which means all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent everywhere at all times. This God, this star breather, this infinite being became a human. So why? Why did Christmas happen? Well, Hebrews 2.9 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. It was so that he could pay for the sins of all of humanity. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, we're talking about the second death in hell, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. You see, Romans six twenty three, humanity needed to pay the penalty for sin, or we would experience death in hell forever. That is the fate of every single human being: death in hell. A human has to die to justify us and i'm talking spiritual eternal 100 percent death in hell forever in order to pay for your sin that is what is required it is a it is an affront against an almighty god and sin cannot enter into heaven so we are all destined for hell now god allows a justification for that innocent blood is required to pay for your sins Now, no human is innocent. We have a sin nature. We are born with a sin nature. We cannot save ourselves. So humans can't save themselves. Only God's blood would be sufficient because only God is truly innocent. Only he is eternal. And if he were to die, he would be able to pay the price, eternal blood price. That means for billions Of humans who owe a blood price so one death for every human being that has ever or ever will live but god can't do that because human blood is required for human sin so god had to become human to satisfy justice in order to be completely human he had to be born from a human woman thus the innocent baby jesus The entire reason for Christmas, he was born to die for us. God knew from the very beginning that this was going to happen. Genesis 3 15, God promised that through the woman, an offspring would be born that would punish the serpent. God always knew what would happen and that only God Himself could save us. God accepted this and created us anyway. This eternal being planned to become a weak, tiny little human to set aside his powers and let us kill him because he decided he wanted to love us that's crazy here's what really gets me the impact on god of christmas and the death on the cross is mind blowing it is eternal think of god the father watching us torture and crucify his only begotten son john 3:16 and Willing himself, controlling himself not to annihilate humanity to save his son, part of himself. If you watched somebody torture and kill your child and you had the ability to eliminate them and save your child, wouldn't you do it? God didn't because he knew the death of Jesus Christ was required to save us. You see, God loved us and wanted to adopt us into his family as well. So we could be with him for all eternity. Now think about this too when he died on the cross when jesus christ died on the cross this was the first time in all eternity that he experienced separation from himself this has got to be the worst case of schizophrenia ever to have yourself split like that the agony of losing part of himself the eternal god for a moment explains why jesus said right before he died My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Since God is outside time, every single time a human being sins, does he experience that separation and see the death of his son again? This is why Christmas is important. Let me read two more passages of scripture to you. This is why you need to celebrate Christmas and why you need to think about Jesus Christ on this day on any day actually i don't i don't care when but you need to focus on christ think about the baby jesus his purpose growing up living a life to be tortured and killed that was his primary goal matthew twenty seven forty five. now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour when he was hanging on the cross And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom and the earth did quake and the rocks rent and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly saying, truly, this was the son of God. This is the last point. Understand that God thought it was important to celebrate His birth, Christmas. Maybe we should too. Why do you think He spent thousands of years creating over 300 prophecies about it, the birth of Jesus Christ? Why do you think when He was born that He sent angels to tell the shepherds? Luke 2, starting in verse 8. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And on that note, Merry Christmas. Until next time, may God bless you all. And on that note, Merry Christmas.